Wow, my friends. The Lord is in this place this morning. Do you feel that this morning? Do you feel that with me? Man, our worship team this morning, what the heck, you guys? Lights out this morning. We should go on spring break more often. This is a good morning. Um, It is so good to be with you in worship this morning on this fifth Sunday of Lent. As we continue our sermon series called At the Table, and for those of you who maybe are joining us this morning or maybe haven't been around for this series, uh, we are looking at the different tables in the life and the ministry of Jesus and some of the significant things that have happened around those tables. Now, I have a question for you as we we begin this morning. Um, I have a question. So how many of you, when you walked into this room or when you walk into a room that's familiar with to you, you choose the same seat? You know it, it's okay. When you, when you walk into your staff meeting at work or for our students here today, perhaps when you walk into your classroom at school or maybe uh, for my exercise friends, when you walk into the gym and, and you see that uh, spin bike and you always find yourself choosing the same one. How many of you, when you uh, walked in this morning, especially for those of you who regularly attend worship with us, how many of you sat in the same seat that you sat in last week? Mm-hmm. How many, yeah, I see your hands. How many of you have been sitting in that same seat for like the last five years? Yep, we know it, it's okay. How many of you at your, your dinner tables, and maybe this is something that's not as assigned or official, but how many of you at your dinner tables, you kind of know where everybody sits? You just, yeah, I see you, I see you nodding, you just come in and everyone kind of knows uh, where they're supposed to sit. Well, the interesting thing is this is not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we're all laughing and this is a common experience because it's actually environmental psychology. Our brains are actually wired when we come into a room to choose the same seat in a way that either we're trying to defend, we're trying to keep people out of our space, or more often, we're trying to choose a seat that's comfortable to us. We're trying to choose something that makes us feel peaceful and good. And so as we enter God's word this morning, I want to invite you to do something with me. I want to invite you to imagine what it might be look what it might look like to walk into a room and intentionally choose a different seat. Intentionally choose a different seat and use it as a discipline to see what the Holy Spirit might do in your life, maybe literally or metaphorically, as you invite him into that space because you're uncomfortable and you're not in the same seat that you always are. Can we do that together this morning? Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 41. This is what the Lord, word of the Lord says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, dear, sweet Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we get to this point in Luke's gospel, we're, we're a little um, less than halfway through the gospel, but what we find is that the tension in the story of Jesus is starting to build. Easter is coming. The Passover feast is coming. The tension is building as Jesus is starting to make his way through the countryside, through the villages, towards the city of Jerusalem. And we see in this passage that he stops on his way in the village of Bethany, where he is welcomed into the home of Martha and her sister Mary. Now, Martha and Mary are two of the more, probably more familiar women in the gospel narratives to a lot of us, but there are a lot of Marys in scripture. So before we go any further, I just want to make sure we, we kind of know which Mary that we're talking about. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. It is not Mary of Magdalene, who uh, is the woman that Jesus cast out demons from. This is not Mary, the mother of James and John, who we see fall at the feet of Jesus at a different table and ask Jesus if her sons can, can be at the right and the left hand of Jesus in the kingdom of God. This is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus, who we're going to see a little bit later in the story this morning, but Lazarus, who is a dear friend of Jesus. Lazarus, who dies and whose death Jesus weeps over. And then we see his sister, Martha, come to him and beg Jesus to do something about it. And we see that Jesus actually, actually raises Lazarus from the dead. This is Mary and her sister, Martha, two Jewish women who had been watching the way Jesus lived his life. They had been watching his ministry, they had been watching the way he'd been preaching and healing people, and they decided to become devoted followers of him. And the scripture tells us that Jesus loved them for it. He was endeared to them for it. Now, one of the reasons that's important as we set the table this morning is because some of the tables we've been looking at throughout this series have included a pretty broad range of characters. They've included maybe people Jesus was not in intimate relationship with, but here in the home of Martha and Mary, it's an intimate gathering of friends and disciples. It's a, it's a dinner party. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have ever hosted a dinner party in your home? I would imagine most of you have. I don't know what it looks like in your house, but I know for Eric and I, uh, we love to entertain, we love to have people on our house, but no matter how excited we are about the friends that we're gonna have over, no matter how much we're excited about entertaining, Hosting a dinner party in your home is a stressful and anxiety-producing time. It, it requires so much preparation. And it's funny, I'll tell a quick story about my husband when we first moved to the western suburbs. He's one of those, um, if you're on time, you're late kind of people. You know, anyone one of those? And so he would show up to dinner parties early. And I'd say, no, 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 you can't do that. Sometimes we'd be in a neighborhood and I'd say, you have to drive around the block a couple times. We can't show up early because you know when you're preparing for people in your house, the last five minutes before people show up, it's like the highest divorce rate in this country, right? You're, you're, <laughs> you're slamming doors and you're threatening your kids. It's like, we all know it's true. It's all, it's all the things. And so it's no wonder. <laughs> It's no wonder that Martha, our friend Martha, is a little stressed out. Her anxiety and stress level is starting to rise, and we might imagine her frustration when her sister Mary is no help at all. 
And so Martha snaps. She just snaps. And she goes to Jesus and she, the scripture says this, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She completely throws Mary under the bus, and what she expects in return is for Jesus to be on her side. And Jesus, in his grace and his wisdom and his upside-down way of life that he came to teach us about, he does something pretty shocking and something pretty unexpected. He invites Mary, or invites Martha, to view life from a different seat at the table. Now, Martha sometimes gets a bad rap, okay? And I know we have a lot of Marthas in the room, whether you're male or female, your Martha's in the room, you know who you are. And what I want to say to you this morning is take a deep breath. You're doing a good work. Martha is doing good work. She's doing good things. She's extending radical hospitality and serving the people in her home. But that's not what Jesus is calling out in this text. The problem isn't necessarily that Martha isn't doing something good. The problem is that she's distracted from doing what is best. Now, let's pause right here in the story, and let's, let's kind of fast forward to 2023, because I'm going to take a minute and talk about distraction. Because I would suggest to you this morning that distraction is one of the primary challenges we face, not just in our lives today, but in our spiritual lives today. It's become a pandemic in and of itself, I was gonna throw a bunch of statistics at you, but then I found this story on a workplace blog, and I I just want you to listen and see if any of this rings true with you. Meet Anna. Anna is a financial analyst. Anna is interrupted or distracted at work five times or more each hour, but she's always pressed to get reports in on time. She begins working on the report when Jason, a coworker, stops by for a chat. They don't chat very long, but when she returns to the report, Anna has to find her place and refocus. Statistics says it takes eight to 25 minutes for us to refocus after we've been distracted from a task. Then she gets a pop-up message on her laptop from someone at her company's office in Nashville and has a question about a mutual fund, so she feels like she has to answer. Then Anna gets another desktop alert that a new email just came in. The alert is from Airbnb. Your vacation rental is ready. And so she goes to her inbox to read the message, and then she gets back to her report. And then after a few minutes, Anna's phone chimes. She checks the text. The electric company has received her payment for a bill. Back to the report. (laughs) Again, she lost her place, and she has to find where she left off. And then she finally gets some momentum about 10 minutes before her lunch break. So she logs off for a 30-minute lunch, and when she gets back from lunch, she has a chance to clear her head and feels like she's ready to tackle this report. And just as Anna gets rolling on the report, her phone chimes another alert, and she thinks, oh, I'll I'll just sneak a quick look. It's a Facebook post from her brother. He just posted a funny dog video, and so she feels like she has to click the ha-ha emoji. Her coworker Jenny stops by for a brief chat. She's back to the report. After another few minutes, another alert tells her that she has a new email. It's marked urgent. It's her HR's open enrollment reminder, marked urgent, even though there's still two weeks left to respond. 
Sorry to all my HR friends out there. Uh, Anna notices the time and she starts to panic. The report is due at four o'clock and she's barely started. She wonders where her day went. Does it sound like Anna's having a bad day? Or does it just sound like a typical day? Does anyone relate to that? I think we can relate because we know that we live in a world where our lives are filled with distraction. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer notes that our attention span is dropping with each passing year. In 2000, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds, and then it dropped to eight seconds, and he says to put this in perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. So he says we're, we're losing to goldfish. The average American receives about 46 push notifications a day on their phone. Statistics show that an average smartphone user touches their phone about 2,601 and 17 times every day. Some clock more than 5,000. And those are just the distractions from technology. My friends, there's an unending list of reasons that our hearts, our minds, our attention, our devotion, get distracted from things even we value as important. We get distracted by worry, by fear, by anxiety over the things that we can't control. We get distracted by relationships, both ones that are healthy and life-giving for us and ones that are not. We get distracted by work and by school. We get distracted by our children's work and our children's school. We get distracted by our calendars, by the consumption of things. We get distracted by the expectations that we have for our lives, especially when things aren't going exactly as planned. We get distracted by burdens that we are holding on to so tightly and all the while our sweet Jesus is whispering in our ears and he's saying, beloved, you are distracted by so many things. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest and I will give you rest for your souls and we sit here and we nod our heads and we think, Jesus, that sounds so nice but I actually don't have time for that. And as we move back into the story, what we see is Jesus so often does, he pulls us back into his story and he redirects our attention. And in this case, he redirects our attention to Mary, who the scripture says sat at the Lord's feet just listening to what he said. You see, Mary chooses a different seat at the table. And I don't want it to be lost on us that Mary was just as busy as Martha. Mary had all the same stuff going on, but what we see here is Mary makes a different and an intentional choice on where she is going to focus her attention. And what we see from Jesus is he loves it. He loves her for it. He soaks it up and then he redirects Martha's attention and he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is best and it will not be taken from her. My friends, this morning, we need to know that our culture will do everything it can to distract us from a relationship with Jesus. 
Our culture will do everything it can to convince us that Martha's way is a better way, that our significance is directly tied to our productivity, that that is what brings us value. And guess what? This is not unique to us. If you flip through the pages of scripture, you will see the people of God struggle without this throughout the course of time. They're always getting distracted and God is always calling them back to his self. And our Jesus, our Jesus in the New Testament, he turns this whole upside, idea upside down and he praises Mary for the choice she has made to focus her attention on him. And I would suggest to you this morning that perhaps one of the reasons that he does that is because he knows that Mary is not just making a choice about how she's going to spend her time. Mary is making a choice about the person she wants to become. John Mark Comer says, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum total of what you give your attention to. My friends, that is sobering this morning. Do you think maybe it's reasonable for us to infer that Jesus maybe knew <laughs> Jesus maybe knew that by simply choosing to spend time with him, that Mary would start to become more like him. That her heart and her character would start to be shaped in such a way that it would begin to change her from the inside out, that her rhythms, her habits, her priorities would start to shift, that she would reorient them, that the distractions of her life would start to not be so hard to shut out, that she'd actually have a growing desire to spend more time with Jesus, and that in doing so, her life would begin to reflect a, a life of love and of mercy at new levels so that a dark and hurting world would see Mary's life and want to become more like him also. We get a glimpse of Mary's transformation as we continue through the Gospels in a later story in the Gospel of John. And we see this similar interaction between Mary and Jesus, this one even more intimate, even more beautiful, as we turn to John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, same house, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And the, the text goes on to say that this time it's not Martha that rebukes Mary. Maybe at this point Martha had learned her lesson, but it's the men. It's the men reclining around the table that start to rebuke Mary. And once again, Jesus turns their attention, turns their focus, and she, he defends Mary. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. It's one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. If you're not familiar with it, and I would encourage you, go read it. Because once again, we see that Jesus is soaking in this beautiful gift of Mary's presence. Now, there's one more thing I don't want us to miss about Mary's choice of seat at the table. 
Because not only did Mary choose wisely about what and who she was going to give her attention to, but, but Mary chose to sit, sorry, her choice of seat at the table involved risk. In devotion to Jesus, she was willing to break cultural norms for that one thing that she knew mattered. You see, from a cultural standpoint, not only was Mary sitting at the wrong seat at the table, Mary was not actually allowed to be sitting at the table at all. The place of the women was in the back, in the kitchen with Martha preparing the way for the guests. And so, and so in this time, when we see that Mary makes a different choice, it's, it's unbelievable. You see, the, the culture, the men would, would be around the table while the rabbi, the rabbi, the teacher, would be teaching the men just as Jesus was in this opportunity. And, and, and the men would be at the table and, and Jesus, in this case, was teaching them what it meant to follow him. And a common Jewish expression for learning from a rabbi was that you sat at their feet. But you see, women were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi, and no self-respecting rabbi would allow a woman to sit at his feet. No rabbi, that is, except Jesus. It's so interesting because in both of these stories, two things happen. Mary risks. She risks judgment. She risks rejection. She risks rebuke from the culture around her and what other people thought. And then at the same time, Jesus is also taking a risk. He is breaking cultural norms to receive her gift with extravagant love. Why? Why? Perhaps it's because Jesus knows that our primary calling in this life is not to achieve. It's not to produce. It's not to get through our to-do list. It's, it's not to go to Bible studies, and it's not to serve. It's not to stand up here and preach a sermon. Those are all good things, but they're not a substitute for the primary calling by the God of the universe, which is not to do more things. It's not to do more things, but it's to spend more time becoming like the person of Jesus Christ. And whatever risk we need to do that, whatever no we need to say to our calendars, that's what we need to do in order to sit at the feet of Jesus because it brings him pleasure and joy to spend time with his kids. You know, when I, when I got done um, preparing all of this and, and thinking through it, um, I got to a point where I thought, okay, so what do we actually do with all of this? <laughs> What do we do? I imagine many of you are shaking your heads. You're like, you know, we, we get it, but I've gotten like 80 notifications on my phone since you've been preaching, and I have a list of things I need to do today. So what do we actually do? How do we actually live this out as a community of faith? And I need to confess something to you. Um, I actually don't know. I'm actually, in the, I don't know why they're letting me preach this sermon, because I thought I got to this place, and I thought, I actually don't have any good ideas. I got a text from my friend Eric Haskins this morning, and he said, praying for you, I can't wait to hear the new things you learned. And I said, you know what, the new thing I learned is that Swain Canfield needs to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's what I need, that's what I learned. But I want to suggest just a couple of things to you as we close, and you can take these for what they're worth. Perhaps like Mary, we just need to take one faithful step at a time at the tables and our lives and sit at the feet of Jesus. 
just one faithful step. Maybe we can do that by actually examining what distracts us. Actually examining where we're giving our attention to. Maybe we need to take a log, you know, write it down of, of how much time we actually spend on our phones a day or how much time we spend doing work. Maybe, maybe we need to ask a family or a friend um, or someone who knows us very well to say, what do you see in my life? What is important to me based on how you see me spending my time? Maybe we just need to examine where we're getting distracted. Maybe we need to start paying better attention and removing just one thing. Maybe we start with just moving, removing one distraction so that we can sit at the feet of Jesus. And it might be something really simple. It could be something as simple as when you get up in the morning, instead of reaching for your phone, reach for your Bible. It could be instead of listening to your favorite podcast on the train on your way to work, uh, maybe you need to take off your, your AirPods and just sit and listen and pray for the people around you. Maybe instead of jamming your schedule full from dusk until dawn, you need to learn to say no to a few things just so that when Jesus does speak to you, you can go to the places where he calls you. Maybe it's just one simple step. For others of you, maybe it's something really dramatic. Maybe you're not just distracted. Maybe you're actually distracted by things that are actually damaging who you are and the people you love. In that case this morning, I would encourage you Don't just find a new seat at the table, maybe find a new table. And and I hope you're encouraged by this morning and Jesus' interaction with Mary that your Lord will receive you with grace and love and mercy when you make that choice. Lastly, perhaps the step we need to make is to ask God to open our eyes. To open our eyes to who he has placed at our table that needs the radically loving, undistracted presence of Jesus that only you can be for them. If there's one thing that I think I've learned in pastoral ministry, and I think all of my colleagues would agree, the most important thing that any of us here on the staff of this church can do is to show up, to shut up, and extend the radical presence of Jesus to people who might be those people in your life. Earlier this week, uh, I had an opportunity to interview a couple of friends of mine for a podcast I do here at the church called Deeper Still. And uh, my friends are Terrence and Keisha Campbell. Uh, Some of you may know Terrence and Keisha because they're actively involved here in the life of our church. They are lovely souls. In fact, I met them because we all sit together in the same place at worship every, every week. So that's a little ironic. But what you may not know about Terrence in Keisha is they are bivocational pastors. They lead a church in Oak Park called the Light Church. And not only did I have a chance to hear their story, but at the end of every episode, I ask my, my guests, um, what might God call, be calling you in this current season of your life to go deeper still with him? And uh, at the time I asked that question, I hadn't written the end of the sermon. I actually didn't know how I was going to end. And when Terrence shared his answer, I said, Terrence, Can I please steal that for the end of my sermon? And he said, absolutely, yes. And so what Terrence said to me that God has been calling him to do right now is to be present. To experience the joy of being present in the moment. And he went on to share a story about how he came uh, home from work and had to go to an event that his girls had at school. 
and he was so tired and the day had been so long and he showed up at this event and all he wanted to do was go home. And so he's kind of rushing his girls through this event and his girls kind of noticed the tension and he noticed that the girls noticed and so he said, you know what, I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to just take a minute and I'm going to submit my agenda and my time and my expectations to the Lord And the Lord met him in that place by the fact that Terrence just said, Lord, I will sit at your feet and do whatever you want me to do in this moment and be present with these two beautiful young women that you have entrusted me to. And Terrence said the next day, he went to work, he opened his lunchbox, and there were two little notes in his lunchbox, and they simply said, Daddy, thanks for spending time with us. And in that moment, Terrence knew that he chose wisely, that he chose the right seat at the table. And so, my friends, that's my hope and my prayer for us. Listen to the words of Paul as we finish in the book of Ephesians. Watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is he loves you. So keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us and so love like that. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are because it's a scandal when people waste their lives on the things they must do in darkness. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. My friends, choose your seat at the table wisely this morning. Let's pray. Lord, may the presence of your word this day and the story of your people permeate our hearts. May it change who we are, may it cut through the distractions of our lives as we seek to be present first and foremost to you and also to the people and the places to which you have called us. Give us the strength and the courage to do this today, Lord, for our good and to your glory. Amen.